Tonight, I want to talk to you about the title of my message, actually, is the the face of pride. Last week, we looked, for those of you who were here, we looked at the problem with pride and found out and discovered that in the middle of pride is this thing called me, myself, and I. And that ultimately is the problem with pride. The problem with pride always has to do with me, myself, and I. And if we could just learn to get that out of the way, we would look a lot more like Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says pride is not of the Father, but it's of the devil. It's not of the kingdom of God, but it's of the kingdom of darkness, church. Pride is a spirit that tries to operate, like I said, in every single one of our lives. It tries to show its ugly face whenever it can. It will try. Pride will try to influence your speech. Pride will try to influence our mind. Pride will have try to influence our attitude and even our attire. But ultimately, pride tries to influence and corrupt our character so that we don't look like Christ and we don't look like the kingdom of God, but rather we look like the kingdom and the culture of this world. We've already learned that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before great fall. And the very first face of pride that I want to look at tonight is the one that complains against God. The one that grumbles against God, the one that passes judgment on God or questions the the sovereignty of God, the one that always finds itself in contention with God. You see, you and I need to understand that grumbling and complaining doesn't come from the kingdom of God either. Grumbling and complaining isn't a reflection of Jesus Christ, who had every right to grumble and complain, but he didn't. Amen? He went to the cross silently, the Bible says. Didn't speak a word. He had every right as the the spotless Lamb of God to say, Hey, I'm innocent. Hey, what are you doing to me? Hey, why are you casting this on me? Hey, why are you nailing me on the cross? He had every right to complain, but the Bible said he went silently and did the Father's will. And brought glory and honor to the Father in the process. You see, Jesus never grumbled and complained. And if anyone had the right to do that, he did. And we, are, we who are far less than Christ, find ourselves on a daily, regular basis coming into contention with God. The reality is, the, the children of Israel became so frustrated with God. They became so frustrated by his leadership and his kingship over their life that one day, after having enough, they said, God, give us a king just like all of the other nations of this world. Give us a king that can do a better job than you. Here they have the king of kings and the Lord of lords at their disposal. Here they have the king of kings and the Lord of lords that delivered them from the hand of Egypt, that brought them through the Red Sea, that did all of these miraculous things, and they cried out, give us another king. I can't fathom that sometimes. But it's exactly the way we are. God, I'm tired of your kingship. God, I'm tired of your leadership. I think you missed it here. I think you missed it there. And you know who would be better in that role than you, God? Me? Myself? And I, I think I could do a better job. That's the problem with pride. That's the manifestation of pride. That's the face of pride. You see, pride wants to, we learned it, and I'll talk about it again. Pride sits where it doesn't belong. Pride takes the seat that it was never granted. Pride, you understand, that is the face of pride. It's one of the faces of pride. Give us a king that can rule over us and lead us better than you do. It's why God said in Romans 9.20, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Who are you, O man? I'll put it in today's vernacular. 
Who are you to have an attitude with me? Who are you to question what I do with your life? Who are you to, to question where I ask you to go and what I ask you to do and what I ask you to say? Who are you to question me? Who are you, O oh man, to question Jehovah God? Who are you? And you see, the reality is all through Scripture, God has to remind the creation that they are the creation. He has to remind them all through Scripture that He is God and we are His children. He has to remind us all the time that He is the the potter and we are the clay. In Job chapter 38, God said something very similar to Job when Job, as he was going through a difficult lot in his life, and I completely understand his, his contention. I completely understand his heartache. I completely understand that. But this scripture lets me know that even in the midst of uh, what we think might be hell on earth, we should still trust our sovereign God. We should still have faith in our sovereign God. We should still understand that He knows the plan that He has for us. Plan to bless us and not harm us, to give us hope and give us a future. But, but, but God says to Job, when Job begins to have this prideful contention rising up within his heart, He says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job? When I spread out the heavens and I spread out the sky, where were you? And he takes two chapters asking that question, where were you when I did all this? Where were you when I told the lightning bolts where to go? Where were you when I stored up the snow in this? Where were you? Where were you, Job? And then he made him sit down and listen for two whole chapters. And the reality is pride has that power. Pride has the power to cause us to question the sovereignty of God, to question His leadership ability, to question His kingship and His love and loyalty over our life. That's the power of pride. It's the face of pride. It tried, pride tries to paint a, a, an impure picture of our Father. And if we let it, it will. And before you know it, you're serving a strange God. Before you know it, you're serving actually me, myself, and I. Because we don't have the right attitude and picture or mentality towards a sovereign divine God. Isaiah 45, 9 said it first to the Israelites. Shall the clay say to the potter, make me this or make me that? Do with me this or do with me that? And there's an emphatic answer to that question. Emphatically, no. Because Scripture reminds us, like I already said, He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is the creator, and we are the creation. But pride forgets that, church. Pride forgets its place in the presence of a king. That's what pride is. That's the the face of pride is that individual that forgets its place in the presence of a king. Pride forgets that he is Elohim, like I just said, the creator God, and that we're nothing more than his creation. Remember, the first thing Lucifer forgot was his place, church. He forgot his place. He forgot his role. And that's the problem with pride. Pride forgets where it belongs. Lucifer was a created being. We all know that. Yeah, he was an angel, but he was still a created being, church. And he forgot his place in heaven. And so often I think we forget the same We forget our place and tell the potter what to do with the clay. Do with me this, God, and do with me that. 
Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't send me here. Don't send me there. Don't tell me to do this. Don't tell me to do that. It's all, it's, it's all the clay telling the potter what in the world to do. And then we wonder why we're not complete. We wonder why we look a little funny and act a little funny and talk a little funny. Because we're always slapping God's hand when He's trying to fashion us and trying to form us. We're always trying to pick ourselves up off the potter's wheel and make ourselves. See, that's the problem with pride. It wants to make itself. It doesn't want anyone else to touch it, especially God. You know a prideful person when you see one. You try to speak a little word into their life and they rise up, boy, like they're the king of kings and lord of lords. And they don't want to receive any kind of nothing from you. They shut you down like you're the the, the big biggest peon on earth because they're filled with pride. They don't want no one making them. They don't want no one instructing them. They don't know want anyone sharing or, or sowing into their life because they're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. What you telling me that for, pride says. Go tell that person. Go tell that person. But please understand, pride forgets where it belongs, church. We forget Revelations 4.11 that tells us that we were created for His pleasure and not the other way around. We were created to praise Him. We were created to worship Him. We were created to bow down before Him. We were created to magnify Him. We were created to lift up His name. We were created to fall in love with Him. We were created to to applaud Him. We were created to dance around His throne. We were created to do exactly what the angels do day in and day out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the One who was and is and is to come. That's why we were created... But please understand me, sometimes we act like we were the creator and God was the creation. Sometimes we act like God was, God's the one supposed to be praising us, like God's the one supposed to be adoring us, like God's supposed to be the one offering all of that to us. Unfortunately, pride comes into the presence of the king and says, please me, comes into the presence of the king and says, Worship me. It comes into the presence of the king and says, aren't you going to bow down before me? Aren't you going to applaud me? Aren't you going to recognize me? That's what pride does. It walks into the presence of the king and says, honor me, praise me, applaud me, please me, do for me. We forget that he was, we were created for his good pleasure, church. You see, as I was going through this, and God forgive us, And I know I've been there at some times in my life, maybe not as drastically as I'm about to say it, but I think sometimes pride treats God like he's the court jester. We treat God like we we dare go into the presence of God and, and demand that the king sing for us and dance for us. We we walk into the house of God and we come in with this prideful attitude thinking, Okay, God, you're the court jester. Entertain me today. Please me today. Stir me today. Move me today. Do something with me today so that when I leave I can say, Oh, it was good to be in your house. We treat God like he's a court jester sometimes. You see, you know where you and I belong? In front of the king is on our knees. Where you and I belong in the presence of the King of Kings and, and, and the Lord of Lords is on our knees. And that's where we belong. And yet we dare walk into the presence of God, whether it's our prayer closet or whether it's in His house or no matter where it is. And we honestly sometimes treat Him like He's the court jester. 
God, you didn't sing for me today. You didn't dance for me today. You didn't entertain. You see, that's the problem with the modern church today. We've created these individuals that come in thinking that they're supposed to be entertained. We create this environment where if you're not entertained, there's something wrong up here. When the reality is there's something wrong in here. And it's called pride. You see, we've got to realize that when we come into the house of God, when we walk through those doors, the flesh better be left outside. You better understand that all of these things and these these worldly carnal mentalities and attitudes we have, that God's got to sing for me and dance for me, better be left outside of those doors. Because if it's not, we pollute His house. We forget that this is holy ground. We forget that Moses was told to take the shoes off of his feet before God ever communicated with him. Oh, we want revelation. Oh, we want truth. Oh, we want the fire of God in our life. But we're walking around with dirty shoes, dirty hands, and hearts that are filled with pride. It's not in my notes. I'm just telling you that's the problem with the church today. This ugly thing called pride. Twenty years ago, pride wouldn't even dare walk through the church doors. But today it waltzes in and shows itself off. God, forgive us. And we wonder why there's no revival. We wonder why the nation and the land is like it is. We wonder why we gotta, we gotta lean on the politicians to make things happen. We wonder why, church, that our country is in need of revival because we're relying on the wrong things. And we're not cleansing ourselves and purifying ourselves. We're wearing the wrong faces, church. And we're revealing this ugly thing called pride. Remember, Lucifer forgot his place was to glorify God and to please God through his praise. I told you, he was the head choir leader. That was his role, to worship God day in and day out. He was the one that was supposed to join in with the other angels. I talked to you last week, and he was to lead them in worship. He forgot his place. He forgot he was supposed to offer praise. He forgot that he was to glorify God. That was his place. And it's ours as well. We, we forget sometimes that that's our place, church. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because you are not your own, because you do not belong to yourself, you are to glorify God in your life, in your bodies, in your speech, in your talk, in your dress, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in everything that you do. You are to glorify God in word and in deed. Pride doesn't let us do that, church. Pride gets in the way of that. If we got pride in our life, we can't glorify the Father. You see, so often we forget that we're not our own. Listen. If you want to do your own thing, if you want to be your own, go have at it. Just don't call yourself a Christian. God himself said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than somewhere in between. So you want to go do your thing, go do it. But don't call yourself a Christian because a Christian means I'm like Christ. And if I'm like Christ, I don't have pride within me. If I'm like Christ, I have crucified myself like Jesus crucified himself. If I'm like Christ, it means I went to the grave like Jesus went to the grave. If I'm like Christ, it means that I came up a a new creation like Jesus came up a new creation. If I'm like Christ, it means old things have passed away and all things have become new. But the reality is pride, like I said last week, won't go to the cross. 
Pride won't let anyone touch it. I've just taught you that tonight. That's the face of pride. Doesn't want to take direction. Doesn't want to take instruction. And the last place it'll ever want to go is the cross. Because the cross means death. It means death. There's nothing about the spirits of darkness. The Bible says the darkness shuns the light. Those that are in the darkness, they don't want to... Why? Because it exposes the, the, the reality of who they are. And that's why pride will never go to the cross. Because it, it will be exposed. And the pride knows that it would be crucified. But that's exactly where, listen, we have to take him. Pride won't take itself there. I hope you grasp this, church. The reality is pride will never go to the cross by itself. You, under the power of the Spirit that is within you, the new man has to take him to the cross on a daily basis. Paul said, I crucify myself daily. The greatest man of God that you can find in the New Testament who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, I, I the apostle Paul, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, the one who understands it is not I that live, but Christ who lives within me. I have to crucify myself every day. I've got to carry my pride to the cross and I have to nail him there every single day. We don't practice that anymore, church. We don't practice that anymore. You know what we wait for? I'm not even on my notes. We wait for the pastor to do it for us. We wait until we can show up on Sunday and, and we just pour it out on pastor and we hope that pastor preaches a, a good, strong enough sermon to crucify my flesh and that he prays a powerful enough prayer so that when I leave, my flesh stays here. But we have done nothing to take out the hammer ourselves. We've done nothing to take out the nail or take out the spike and say, you dirty old flesh, you dirty old thing called pride, I'm nailing you here today and I'm not leaving until you're dead. I'm not leaving with you. I'm putting you in the grave. We don't do that enough. We don't do it enough. Please understand the altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place where something living died. It wasn't a place to be entertained. It wasn't a place to come and receive. It was a place where the sacrifice died, church. We've got it all wrong today. We come to the altar and we want something from God. We come to the altar and, and, and take that mentality, okay, entertain me, provide, do all this for me, God. Listen, I'm not saying we can't pray and ask God for stuff. It's the mentality of the heart and this ugly thing called pride that's not willing to crucify itself at the altar of God. It's not willing to offer itself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord. It's the face of pride. It's a manifestation of pride, church. Please understand, God is forming us and trying to transform us every single day. And the process isn't always easy. This transformation process, this, this forming process, it's not always comfortable, church. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it's filled with pain. Sometimes the heat is turned up. Sometimes the water gets high. Sometimes it's hard to breathe. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes we feel nothing but pain in this transformation process, church. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes transformation is tremendously trying in our life. But its results, the Bible says, are the character of Jesus Christ. 
The results of all of this stuff is the character of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we have to understand that, church. We have to understand Romans 3, 4 that says suffering produces perseverance. And that word suffering means trials. It means tribulations. It means sorrows. It means heartache. It means storms. It means all of those things that you can think of. But it tells us that, that, that sufferings produce perseverance. And perseverance produces the character of God in our life. And then once that character of Christ is developed in our life, it says, which also produces hope. So instead of being like the Israelites, being filled with pride that leads to contention and questioning every little thing God does in our life, we need to learn to be still and know that He's God. We cannot be like the Israelites because, listen to me, if we, if we show that face of pride like the Israelites did, guess what it did? It drove them into the ground. It literally put them in the grave. Not a single one of them, after 40 years, that wandered through the wilderness, got to see their promise unless they were under 18 years old. No one that, that, that walked in pride got to, got to receive their promise. And the reality is we won't either. This word is filled with promises that are available to all of those that walk in humility. But if you walk in pride or I walk in pride, guess what? I won't experience any of them. If I walk in pride, and I, pride that, that questions God, pride that doesn't understand God, pride that's not willing to get up on a potter's wheel, pride that says, God, you got to make me this or you got to make me that, pride that won't receive from a brother or a sister, pride that gets upset at the pastor when he gets hard with the word, pride that walks away and says, I ain't going to that church no more. Pride that gets upset at every little thing that God's trying to do when all God's trying to do is make you look like His Son, Jesus Christ. It's childish, church. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Listen, we have to understand the, the devastating power of pride. We have to get it off. We have to strip it off. And we have to put on Jesus instead. That's what's on the back side of your, your, the paper I gave you. Or the manifestations of humility that lets God do what God wants to do. It's night and day. That paper I gave you is night and day. It's Lucifer and Jesus Christ. It's heaven and it's hell. It's God and it's the devil. It's righteousness and unrighteousness. Obedience and, un, and disobedience. I'm not even going to get to the, the humility part, but I just want you to understand, church. The reality is, listen, the most beautiful pieces of glass you will ever see all went through the fire. Glass isn't glass unless it's gone through the fire. Gold isn't pure gold unless it's gone through the fire. Sterling silver isn't sterling unless it's gone through the fire. I want you to understand the most beautiful piece of pottery that you will ever look at didn't only go through the fire, it went through the wire, and it went through the pounding, and it went through a process, and it got put on a potter's wheel, and then it went through the fire, and it became beautiful. And if the potter had the will, and the potter had the power, or the clay had the power to interfere with what the potter wanted to make, it would never be beautiful. And yet, that's exactly what we do. When I say that the clay goes through the wire, if any of you ever worked with pottery, I used to. 
He used to be this little thin, narrow wire on a stand where you would take that lump of clay and you would just continually throw it through that wire to cut it and break it and cut it, soften it, get out any, if there were lumps in it, get it out, get out air pockets, get out anything that shouldn't belong. And they would knead it and knead it and pound it and pound it and wet it and twist it and pound it. And then when it was flexible, then the potter would say, now it's ready for the wheel. You see, the reality is we want to bypass the wire. We want to bypass the pounding. We want to bypass the kneading and the twisting and the hitting. And we just want to get up on that wheel and then say, okay, God, now make me something beautiful. And God's saying, guess what? You can't. I can't. Let me pound you. Let me form you. Let me fashion you. Let me wire you. Let me do what I need to do so I can make you a vessel of honor. Amen. And the reality is we get all upset at God when He's not using us as a vessel of honor. That's another face of pride. God, why aren't you using me? Why don't I have a ministry? How come I'm not recognized? I don't have any skills. I don't have any talents. I don't. Why did you overlook me, God? That's pride. It's absolute pride. Pride that has not yielded itself or submitted it to God because God is saying to that individual, you've not yielded your heart. There's still pride. I, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't make you into a vessel of honor. You're not letting me put you through the wire. You're not letting me fashion you. You keep getting off the wheel because it's getting too difficult. And that's what we do. We, we Okay, oh, I finally made it to the wheel. Oh, it's going good. And then all of a sudden, God pushes his hand down in there to widen us. He presses on us to, to make us taller, just like a potter does. And ah, that's not, I don't like that, God. And we hop off the wheel. And then we're all out of shape. God can't use us. This is what I'm trying to teach you, church. When you see that rising up in your life, you have to identify it as pride. Pride will keep you from being a vessel of honor. Pride will keep you from being profitable to the master. Pride will keep you from the kingdom of God and, and, and being a vessel that he can pour himself into. We have to understand that, church. I said it before. I say it again. We have to trust that the potter knows what he's making. We have to trust that the potter does know the plan that he has for this piece of clay. This piece of clay has to trust God knows exactly what he's doing with his life. This piece of clay has to trust that God knows exactly the plan that he has for his life. This, this piece of clay has to understand and believe that God knows the plan that he has for me. It might be difficult right now. As Jesus hung on the cross, as Jesus kneeled in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he felt the weight of the world as he was beaten to a pulp, as all of that was happening in his life, he had to believe that his father knew the plan for his life. And we're no different, church. Because Jesus trusted the plan. Because Jesus laid down his pride in the garden of Gethsemane. Guess where he's sitting today? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father at the highest heights of heaven. Because he put down the pride. He's got a name which is above every name. 
He's got the name at which one day every single knee on earth, above earth and below the earth shall bow and confess him as Lord. Because he crucified his pride in the garden of Gethsemane. And the reality is a lot of us have never been to that garden. A lot of us have never laid down this ugly thing called pride. And we wonder why we're at where we are today. Absent of power. Absent of all of the things that are available to us because we have not dealt with this ugly thing with pride. Pride wants to make itself. And then it takes the credit for what it made. That's not Jesus. Jesus not one time in his entire ministry ever pointed to himself. Ever. And the problem with pride is it wants to make itself. And then it says, steps back. Look what I made. Look what I did. Boy, I'm great. Boy, I'm good. And then it justifies wanting praise and wanting glory and wanting honor. Jesus never once pointed to himself. He always pointed to the Father. And listen to me, church. The reality is, the reality is, if there is anything in our life that points to our, that points to me, myself, or I, It's filled with pride. I know it's difficult for us to grasp, especially here in America, where we're all about materialism, where it's even preached from the pulpit all about prosperity, where we got pastors whose rings are bigger than their Bibles and necklaces that that, that are bigger than the cross that's on the, the, the front of the pulpit. I want you to clearly understand that's one of the things that I despise about the prosperity movement. Because it takes the glory that belongs to God and it puts it on its own finger. It takes the glory that belongs to God and it hangs it around its own neck. It takes the glory that belongs to God and it parks it in its own driveway. It takes the glory that belongs to God and it puts it on his feet with a thousand dollar pair of shoes. Nothing wrong. You understand what I'm saying? It's why I don't like the prosperity movement, church. Because it steals the glory from God. Are you going to give Him glory if you don't got the shoes? Are you going to give Him glory if you don't got the car? Are you going to give Him glory if you don't got the bling? Are you going to praise Him? Are you going to dance? Are you going to clap if you don't have all that? You see, the reality is that's why I don't like the prosperity movement. Because it steals from God what belongs to God. Listen, I'm not telling you that you gotta walk around in sackcloth and ashes all day. That you gotta wear, that you gotta wear burlap every day. I'm not telling you that. But, but I find it very interesting, church. That when anyone in scripture had to demonstrate humility, guess what they put on? They put on sackcloth. They got a burlap bag and they got down on the floor and they reminded themselves of who they were and who God is. We drive around in our fancy cars and we put on our three-piece suits and we wear all this and we do all that. And we got our name up in lights and we dare, we dare question God in our life. We dare rob His glory and we dare rob His praise. It all belongs to God. I told you last week, every good thing I have only comes from God. I'm not telling, I'm telling you that in America, anywhere else, that message would never work. Prosperity movement. You go into the bush and talk to them about prosperity movement. They'll laugh you right out of the jungle. And you're teaching them a false God. I, I want you to understand, listen, the word of God should work everywhere across this globe. 
We get so busy preaching so many other things, we forget about the cross. We forget about Jesus Christ. Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't die so I could drive a Cadillac. Jesus didn't die so I could wear a $500 pair of shoes. I'm not saying you can't do that. Jesus died so that the old man would pass away and so that the new man would come to life and so that I could be a reflection of the Father so my next door neighbor could get saved, so the guy down the street could come to, to go to glory, so someone else, you understand what I'm saying. We got it all wrong because of this ugly thing called pride. And if we don't identify it, it will lead us straight to destruction. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that you should be ashamed of nice things. What I am telling you is they better never get in the way of the glory of God. Ever. Ever. And you better never allow them to make you think you're better than anyone else. Because there before the grace of God go I. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because all of my righteousness is like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Stop comparing ourselves to others. Start comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. Stop comparing yourself to your fallen brother or the wickedness that's out there in that world. Start comparing yourself to God and you'll fall down on your face. And you'll become undone. And you'll do all these other things that these people did when they caught a glimpse of the glory of God. Oh, I'm unworthy. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I I live among a, a land of unclean people. And some fell as if they were dead when they saw the glory of God. When they crucified pride, church. And when you and I crucify pride, something happens in our life. And you cannot crucify it unless you identify it. That's what I want to do real quick. Please listen. Another manifestation of pride is ungratefulness. It's, it's, it's an individual that's not thankful for anything. The one that mumbles and complains and, and, and speaks all of these things against God, they don't have a grateful heart. But, but that is a face or a manifestation of pride. Listen, if you find yourself grumbling all the time, complaining all the time, you better deal with that pride. If you can't find joy in anything, you better deal with this thing called pride. If you can't offer a word of thanks, if it takes you all day to figure out what I can be thankful for, you better, you better deal with this ugly thing called pride. Because pride does not have a grateful heart. Pride is not thankful for anything. And that's why I say as Christians, we should be the most thankful, grateful people on earth. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Because I was wandering in darkness, but now I'm in His glorious light. Because I was condemned to hell and death and destruction, but now I'm confident that that I'll be with the King in glory. We should be the most thankful, grateful people on earth. And yet, my Lord, so often we, we act like we just come out of the pickle jar. Listen to me. If you have a hard time praising God when you come into His house... You've got a problem with pride. I'm not saying it to condemn you. You've got a problem with pride. Listen, please understand me. Your level of praise and your level of worship and your level of thanksgiving is directly related to your level of pride. Directly. If you're filled with pride, you won't praise. If you're filled with pride, you won't give thanks. If you're filled with pride, there ain't going to be any worship. There's so much I could cover here, but I don't have the time. Pride isn't grateful, it grumbles instead. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In all things, in all circumstances, give thanks. Because it is the will of God. Please understand it's God's will for you to praise Him. It's God's will for you to worship Him. 
It's God's will for it. It really is. It's God's will for you to lift up your hands and praise. It's your, it's God's will for us to do that, to come into his presence, he says, with a thankful, grateful heart. He even says that when you're in the midst of a need, when you're in the midst of a circumstance, when you're in the midst of a situation that seems to be tearing you apart and you want to come before my throne room of grace, he says, be anxious for nothing, but with all prayer and supplication, along with what? Thanksgiving. Make your request known to me. You see what that tells me? If you leave out Thanksgiving, I don't think our prayers are going to be answered. If we leave out Thanksgiving, listen, if you leave out Thanksgiving, prayer and supplication sounds nothing. It sounds like nothing but grumbling. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so many of us live that lifestyle. We come to God this, God that, God this, complain this, complain that, bring this, bring that. But he says, when you bring those things, bring it along with praise. You know why he says that, church? Because it lets him know you know who he is. It lets him know that no matter what I'm going through in my life, God, you're still worthy of praise. You're still worthy of thanksgiving. You're still worthy of my adoration. Otherwise, it's just grumbling and complaining. And that's why it must come along with every request we have. See, our prayer should be, God, I thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. It should be, God, I thank you that even though I'm going through a difficult time, even though it seems like the enemy's round about me and the odds are against me, I thank you that there is no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. I thank you that if you are for me, no one can stand against me. I thank you, God, that when the devil has come in like a flood and he's coming in like a flood against me right now, I thank you that you will raise up a standard against him. I thank you that when he comes in one way, you're going to drive him out seven different ways because you are king because I trust there's a huge difference in that you understand what I'm saying it completely eliminates the grumbling and complaining and when we come along with thanksgiving the windows of heaven open up and God's goodness pours into our life because we recognize who he is because we've put pride aside and we've let God know God I'm accepting the fact that you are the potter and I'm the clay. So make me, fashion me, fold me. Do whatever you need to do within me. Here's what I want to close with, church. Pride has lots of faces, but it all comes from the same spirit, the evil spirit. And if we can't recognize his face, we can't deal with him and we can't destroy him. Like I said, he'll destroy us instead. It's why I gave you this whole sheet. And there's so many more. I could have done front and back. But I gave you this sheet of the manifestations of pride. So that when we go through our life, we can, we can say, you know what? That looks a little bit like pride that's peeking up in my life. I seem to be resisting, resisting some authority find myself being disrespectful we can recognize that as pride seems to be a lack of compassion in my life for your struggling serving the church or serving others you look at all those they are all faces of pride church there might be a hundred I don't know there's 31 on here 
But the question that I'm asking tonight, I believe the question the Holy Spirit is asking tonight, what face are we wearing? What face do you have on tonight? When your wife looks at you, what face does she see? When your husband looks at you, what face does she see? He, see. When your children look at you, what face do they see? When the people in the house of God or the pastor, your friends or your co-workers, when they look at you, what face do they see? But the, the greatest question of all is that when God looks at me, what face does he see? Does he see Jesus or does he see Lucifer? Does he see humility or does he see pride? Because the only way that we can truly come into the presence and the goodness of God is by putting aside pride. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, Lord, I need to crucify some flesh tonight. I need to crucify some pride. I've been saved. I go to church. I'm, I'm not necessarily living in sin, but, but I've seen the face of pride in my life. And tonight I want to crucify it. If that's you, I just want you to stand your feet with me. I'm the first one standing here, church. I'm the first one to say that I am ashamed of how often these faces of pride have shown up in my own life. And so what I, I had to crucify them before I ever came out here tonight. I had to put every one of these before the Lord and say, Lord, I want all of this out of my life so that I can be a reflection of you. That's what I want you to pray tonight, church. Whatever face of pride you see, whether it's here, whether it's in your seat, you're taking it to a cross. You're nailing it there, crucifying it and putting it aside. Father God, I just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, for the power of your Holy Spirit that has the ability to speak deep into our soul this evening. And it's my belief, God, that not my words, but your words, not my presence, but your presence, not my power, but your power, not my anointing, but your anointing has spoken to all of us this evening. You've revealed to us, Father God, things that we might not have known. You've given us truths and revelation, Father God, that we need in order to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And everything that we've spoken about tonight revolves around this evil thing called pride. Father, pride looks nothing like you. It talks nothing like you, acts nothing like you. And so we crucify it tonight, God. We take it to Calvary. We take it to the cross and we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this spirit of pride. I pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that this old man of pride would pass away and that all things would become new tonight. That we would trust in you, confide in you, put our hope and confidence in you, Father. I pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit like we sang earlier. A fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. Because if there's any way for us to conquer the flesh, if there's any way for us to conquer pride, God, it is through a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Rain down on us, I pray, O oh God. I pray, God, that you would just wash away every sin. That you would wash away all unrighteousness. That you would wash away, Father God, any trace of pride in our life. Help us to identify it. Help us to crucify it. And help us, Father, to allow you to increase, Father, as we decrease. 
Thank you for your word this evening. And thank you for the work that you're doing, God. We are the clay and you are the potter. And tonight we are saying, God, make us what you will. Teach us what you will. Form us and fashion us and shape us and do with us as you will. We're submitted to you and yielded to you. And all of us together said, Amen. Church, can we just bless the Lord for his word this evening? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you know he's worthy of praise? Amen. Thank God. If you have a special need, please come. We'll tarry with you, pray with you. Otherwise, all of you go in humility and power. Amen.